Welcome to the Limitless Outdoors podcast brought to you by Eberly Stock. This week, I have my wife, Charlotte, with me, and we are going to be doing a podcast that we have entitled Till Hunting Season Do Us Part. Till Hunting Season Do Us Part. And what we're going to be talking about today um, is biblically and experientially what marriage and hunting looks like going together. And really, ultimately, what we're wanting to center around is how do we chase after those desires that God puts on our heart, you know, Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How do you chase after those things that are calling to you um, as a man individually? And as a couple, how do you navigate that together? Uh, keeping marriage, the most sacred and central part of your life. And so that's what we're going to be discussing today. Uh, obviously I do a lot of traveling and hunting. Uh, and that means that we spend a lot of time apart. Uh, we have five children. And that is um, a little bit of a feat to navigate that and manage it. And a lot of people ask Charlotte all these questions like, how do you do this? Do you worry about him? So we want to kind of walk through some of those things that we have navigated as a couple and help maybe speak a little bit of life um, into your marriage and maybe some strategies, techniques, conversations that you guys can have uh, to really fulfill all that God has uh, for your life and also just get out there and adventure um, and have, uh, and how would you say it? That there would be a joy in everybody's heart as that is being done and no uh, resentment, conflict, things of that nature happening. So with that, this is my wife, Charlotte. Charlotte, how are you today? I'm good. How long have we been married now? Um, we have been married for almost 11 years and together for almost 16. Wow. It's a while now. Um, so how about we start with a little bit of your background? You were born in Sagal, Idaho, mm -hmm. and you're born on a little farm, right? Uh, but how were you raised? Were you raised as a hunter? No, I was raised as a vegetarian until I was 12. My dad grew up hunting and he would um, hunt in Wisconsin and stuff, but uh, both he and my mom both decided independently to become vegetarians when they were young. So all of us children, I'm the youngest of four, we were raised vegetarian. And we didn't hate people who ate me or disdain anybody that hunted or anything like that. We just didn't do it. It wasn't what we did. Were you still a vegetarian when we met? No. Okay. Because your parents got divorced when you were 12? 11, 12. Yeah. Okay. And then your mom remarried a uh, hunter. Yes. Okay. And but a my, cattle guy. A cattle guy, cattle rancher. But my dad is still a vegetarian. My dad and my stepmom. Oh, okay. Yes. So you were kind of new to the whole meat scene. Yes. I remember the first time I ever cut meat or was around deer meat was my stepdad on Thanksgiving, probably the first Thanksgiving we ever spent together. He shot a deer and I helped cut it up. Okay. And I remember just standing there going, huh. This is interesting. <laughs> so it was bizarre to you when you... Yeah, but it was bizarre because it, it wasn't weird. I think that's... I think it didn't freak me out. It didn't gross me out. It was just interesting. So that would be kind of an interesting thing to talk about a little bit. So from that standpoint of just intrinsically what's human to us to provide and to eat meat, right? Um, like we've talked about this a lot. How does that how does that look? You know, so many people will tell us you could just go to the store and get your meat. What do you think about the whole go to the store, get your meat or harvest your meat yourself? Uh, well, I actually had a, there's a funny story about that, um, that I'll share. Cause 
being raised vegetarian, you know, we didn't really think about getting meat from the store or anything like that. But I remember when you and I, we raised chickens one year, which didn't turn out great. We never did it again, <laughs> but we can't keep things alive. We're good at killing things. It's really bad. bad at keeping things alive. But I remember, um, you texted me or something and said, Hey, kill a chicken for dinner tonight. And I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then I had this conversation in my head and actually it kind of clarified what I've always kind of believed and felt was if I wasn't able or willing to kill something, I don't deserve to eat it. That's good. So with the grocery store, like I'm not against people obviously getting their meat from the grocery store. It's not a big deal, but I also have a problem or no, I don't have a problem, but I struggle with the idea of you should be removed from the taking of your meat, the killing of your meat. Yeah, it breaks our connection with everything that we're doing. You don't appreciate what what it is. And I don't know, you just can't honor it as well. Yeah, that's good. So you grow up, you're vegetarian. All of a sudden you're thrust into the meat eating world. And then you and I met, you were 17 Mm -hmm. at the time when we met. And so still young, you were a senior in high school. I was out of, just out of high school and I'm a hunter. And so that was your first, that was your first exposure to hunting, right? Yes. So what do you think about hunting? How was that when you started to hunt animals? Um, well, I didn't really kill anything right away with you. Um, we didn't really go hunting much. Yeah. I, well, I would go with you sometimes and go hiking. And I really liked that because I, I mean, I liked hiking and being out in the woods. But um, I, think, I think it was kind of a slow development of kind of just seeing how much you appreciated it. And that was cool to see. Um, and then how fun it is. Like it was really cool when we, when I did start hunting to get close to animals and work the land and maneuver through it. I mean, it was just really, it was thrilling. It was pretty cool. So, um, and then the first couple animals I killed, that was pretty awesome. (laughs) Was there ever a time, did that ever, did you ever feel bad about taking an animal? Not yet. No, I don't, there's not an animal that I've taken that I've felt bad. Okay. Well, kind of to stay on subject though, let's, let's keep pressing in. I have just a handful of questions here that I think will help kind of navigate what we're going to be talking about. Um, I think we could start out with how do you feel about all the heads in the house? I mean, if anybody's ever seen the the little tour of the house uh, that we did, like we've got, we got some heads in here. We've got shoulder mounts. I know some women don't like shoulder mounts. They think the animals are too lifelike or so how do you feel about heads in the house? I mean, I like it. I, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I don't know. I can see where other people might be uncomfortable with it, but at the same time, um, I can appreciate, especially those, the few animals that are mine, <laughs> <laughs> very few. Um, it's nice to see them and just kind of have that remembrance of them. Uh, I think they look good. I think they're aesthetically pleasing. So I like it. You don't feel like you live in a morgue? No, um, morgues are for dead people. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, you know, I know that that's a big point of tension for um, some couples. They, they they don't want any heads in the house at all. And so what does that look like? Um, at the surface, it's just like, hey, I don't like heads in the house. I don't want heads in the house. But as I talk with some guys, it's actually like, it's kind of a thing for them. Yeah. And they're just, they feel a little bit disrespected. And if they feel like, they don't have any say in the matter at all. Right. And like that, their desires are actually plowed over. It's kind of interesting because at the surface, everyone's just like, well, yeah, just my wife just doesn't like it in the house. But when you press into it, there's actually some deeper stuff going on. So what does that look like? Because I think it speaks to something broader. What does it look like um, 
to, I don't know if compromise is the right word, but to get behind some of the things that your spouse is passionate about, like, even though you might not be into it, it might be not be your, your decor, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what does it look like to support your spouse in that way from your standpoint? Well, I thinking about it, I think it's a way of honoring kind of his passion. Just like, I mean, I look, if you think on the opposite side, you know, some women are very into um, certain decor, certain styles, the farm chic or whatever you're into modern. And so if you're not willing, I mean, compromise really is a good word for it. Cause if you're not willing to compromise and say, okay, well, this is my style. And I, I would like, you know, maybe our bedroom to be more my style or this, or my kitchen be a little, but not willing to give on that where your husband's like, well, I really would appreciate being able to hang my moose or hang my elk or have my deer head here so I can, you know, admire it. And I can be reminded it, it's just a nice thing to have. So there is some compromise there. And then just realizing that that's a way you can honor your husband is kind of just given. And there's another thing once they're up and you're just like in anything with your house, you kind of forget about it. Like until, unless you're like really thinking like, Oh yes, the deer head is right there. You don't, you're not looking at it all the time. You're not even, yeah, you don't exactly. notice it. So I think it's a kind of out of sight, out of mind. Like once it's there, it's, it's not going to be a big deal. So I think just giving that, you know, remembering that you can honor your spouse, honor your husband in that way and give a, have a little give and take. And maybe you say, Hey, well, like the kitchen, can the kitchen be head free or what, you know, whatever. Cause most, most men don't have as many <laughs> animals as you. Um, that's true. <laughs> that is true. No. And I mean, and so I think that, but part of that is, and I know we're going to talk about this quite a bit, but the strength of our marriage, I believe is the communication that yeah. we have. And so I think that every, every marriage will settle into its own rhythm. Right. But some of these things we're not even aware of that we're doing that are actually causing rifts right. in, in the marriage. Right. And um, I think one of, I loved how you said that honoring your husband's passions and vice versa, right? Like honoring your wife's passions. Those things need to, they need to be reciprocated. Um, but I think that's a really good word that like not, not one of us should have that control yeah. uh, in a sense of lording it over. We're told in scripture not to lord our authority over people. Right. And so like maybe the home is kind of your domain as a homemaker. Um, but it's also my home as well. And likewise, all aspects of our life were to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord tells right. us in Ephesians five. Uh, but that's good for uh, honoring your husband's passions or honoring your wife's passions uh, within the home. So uh, that leads me to my next questions. So as we kind of just press into this idea of till hunting season, do us part. So spending time away. And obviously I spend a lot more time away. I mean, we've got, got the, animals to show for it. Right. Um, I spend a lot of time away. And so the next kind of series of questions, I just want to kind of press into how do we navigate that in a healthy way? Um, and also when is it unhealthy? Mm -hmm. I think that's, it's super important because, um, we have to, we have to understand when we're getting unhealthy with our, whatever our passion is as well. Um, so let's talk about time apart. And in that time apart, one thing that I've seen a lot um, uh, with other men is that their wives get anxious and worried when their husbands are gone in the backcountry hunting. There's limited or no communication. Um, so wives get anxious 
in that time to the point of sometimes debilitating anxiety. Um, and that really can hurt a marriage as well. So first question is, is do you worry when I'm gone? Like when I'm hunting in Alaska and I'm just out in the middle of nowhere, do you worry about me, about any, do you care that I'm gone? <laughs> do you worry? <laughs> so not to sound, it's going to sound callous, but no, like I don't worry. Um, I, I don't know. I, I kind of have developed this mindset that, there's a couple different reasons. First is that you, you're super capable. I mean, there's just a reality of that. You're just, you know what you're doing. You have the experience, you have the know-how, you just, you prepare yourself, you set up. So there's that aspect that I just, I trust in your ability. Um, and then just honestly, I don't worry because whatever happens, happens and I can't control it. Um, I have a rule for myself that I don't worry or complain about things I can't change. Um, and so in the moments that, you know, those pop in, um, I really just try to take those thoughts captive and just put them to Christ and just say, I'm not going to worry about it. It's just, I can't, especially when I'm, when you're away and I'm here, worry does nothing for me because I can't help you with my worry. I can't honor you with, I, there's nothing that I can do that's going to safeguard you when you're gone. I mean, I can pray and that's about it. And so that's what you do. You take your thoughts captive and then you pray and then you let it go. So when we're talking about, when we're talking about this worry and anxiety and a, a lot of women struggle with that, mm -hmm. um, what is it that, what would you say to a woman that is kind of to the point where she won't allow and there's kind of multiple ways because a lot of what I see with men is women get either very passive about passive aggressive with their attacks, or they're just like flat out, you're not hunting. Mm -hmm. um, what, what would you say to a woman that is struggling with allowing her husband to go hunting out of worry and anxiety of like, what if they don't come back? Right. Well, out of fear. So out of fear. Yeah. Out of fear. Um, That's we need to call it what it yeah, is. It's fear. It's fear. Right? And I, I think, you have to remember, especially if you're a believer, I mean, theology of God is in control. I mean, he has my days written. He has your days written. He has my life as it's going to go forward. He has your life as it goes forward. And hopefully for as long as possible, that's together. But I have to live the life that unfolds before me. And if you were to, if something were to happen to you when you're gone hunting, then I know that God's already ordained that. And I can't not let that that can't let that kind of fear hold you back and then have me in that constant state of fear when you're gone. Cause there, I mean, there's a reality that you could, you could get in a car accident and die too. I mean, every yeah. day, like we don't know, like we have no control or ability to know when you're going to be gone. And so there's nothing for me, for you being gone and, and doing the thing that you love and that fills you up and it gives you that joy and that passion to stop you doing that out of my fear of what my life could look like, the chance that this could happen, um, isn't fair. Yeah. And so one of the things I was thinking about, and we've, I think, oh, we've talked, we've talked about all this stuff so much. Um, yeah. but one of the things that we've talked about is this idea. We were watching a movie last night, uh, chasing Mavericks, uh, with Jay Morietti, I think Jay Morietti, right. something like that, uh, surfer down in California, um, he takes on these huge waves. And then when just before his 23rd birthday, he 
dies free free diving over in the Maldives. And um, so super capable, done all these incredible things. And then he's gone at 23 and you're like, oh my gosh, the thing we talked about last night is like, what about all that potential of what he could have been? And the reality is, is had he lived his life um, trying to protect his future and elongating his days, right? He never would have accomplished the things that he accomplished. He wouldn't have lived his life. He wouldn't have lived his life. Exactly. He wouldn't have lived his life. And so through this fear, fear always robs us of something. Uh, I think of second Timothy chapter one, the apostle Paul says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Um, I, I think of, there's a pastor, his name's Levi Lusco. And what he says, he calls fear. He says, fear is faith in the enemy. And I've always loved that. Mm-hmm. Like when I heard him say that, I thought that was just incredible, but fear is faith in the enemy. Um, and as we've talked a lot, like I just, it doesn't matter the quantity of life in which you live. It's the quality of each and every day Absolutely. that you live. And it's amazing to me how many people won't do something out of fear that it's going to go wrong and it's going to end what they have. But as believers, like we have eternity sewn up, like there's no, there's no loss for us. In fact, the apostle Paul says that for me to depart and go to Christ is gain for me. It's better for everybody else if I'm around. Right. Um, But man, what kind of example do we set for our kids Mm -hmm. for future generations? How are we discipling people um, if we never risk anything and just live life? Well, yeah, I mean, and God is very clear. He has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. And that's each individual. So he has plans to prosper me and not harm me. His plans prosper you and not harm you that's as a couple, but that's also individually. So even if, like you said, if you were, or even if I would die, I mean, I could die. You still have, he still has plans for you to prosper you to live a good life. And I also hold on to Psalm 37 when he says, do not fret. It only causes harm. And when I think of that, do Do not not fret, do not fret. It it only only causes causes harm. harm. Okay. Yeah. Because that harm is not only for me, but it harms my children. It harms my relationships. Cause when you're in that state of worry and fear that comes out, like you, it's, it's really hard to keep that stuff down. So that can come out in, um, you know, exploding on your kids and having, you know, just being on that, on the edge all the time. I mean, come out in depression. It can come out in all sorts of ways that really harm everything else around you. So you're just by staying in that worry and that fear, it just, it can affect so much and you're not living the life that you have today. And I mean, Jesus very clearly in Matthew six talks about sufficient for today's own trouble. Like if you're just borrowing that trouble, like, oh my gosh, what if he doesn't come back? What if, what if this happens? What if this happens? You're not living today. You're not doing what needs to be done today. So come back to that. Uh, you said it earlier, taking every thought captive and bringing it into obedience to Christ. You want to talk about that a little bit more? Like, what does that look like? So practically, so if a woman's listening to this right now, woman or man, I mean, both of us have fears and anxieties. I talk to men all the time that have anxiety about getting hurt hunting. Um, Like when you start having those thoughts and you notice like I'm becoming overcome with worry, with uh, anxiety, how do I take those thoughts captive? Is there anything that you do to take those thoughts captive? Um, I mean, I honestly just in my head, you know, kind of talk to yourself and just go stop it. Jesus help me. And if, if it's, if it's a big enough worry, like that's building up, then I pray for a little bit. Um, And then just say, I, I can't 
think about this anymore and think about something else. Just redirect thoughts, um, whether that's with scripture or whether it's just starting a conversation with your kid, whether it's just going and doing something else, go do the dishes or go just get active, just get your mind off whatever is playing out. But a lot of it is just that internal talking to yourself of just like, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to focus on that. I'm not going to worry about that. And just really put those safeguards up in your mind. Just the instant those kind of things start coming up, just go, nope, I'm not going there. Good. So, I mean, I know we, I was jokingly telling you this morning before we did the podcast, I was like, well, Shane and I always say we've come back from a hundred percent of our <laughs> hunt so far. So it's like, statistically speaking, it's good odds. you got great odds <laughs> that you're coming home. And I think some of those things are good reminders. It's just like, while there is inherent risk and danger in hunting, statistically, it's like, you really don't have to worry much. And obviously we're putting ourselves out there. We're flying more, you know, small planes, stuff like that. So it's up in it. But I had to come to terms with this a long time ago personally, because I would actually get, um, I never would have called it that at the time, but before I was a pilot, I would get anxiety every time I would go to Alaska Mm. because I used to be so scared of small planes. And I was like, I'm going to die in a small plane. Um, it's so funny, (laughs) but I would get this anxiety to the point where it almost took the joy out of going. And I came to this reality when I started flying because it is dangerous and you're, especially where you start pushing the limits into what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, but like coming back to what you said about God numbering our days and God having plans for us, like I came to this point where I started looking at David's life and God isn't a statistical God. Like we don't fit into statistics when God is working in our lives and doing things through our lives. It's in his control. Not we aren't under the control of statistics Mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to say. We're under the control of God. Um, And our life is in his hands, not in statistics hands. And so I looked at the life of David and it doesn't make any sense statistically how that guy made it through all the battles that he (laughs) faced. He killed Goliath when he was young. He killed a bear. He killed a lion. He faced armies with just him and a couple of guys. Like none of that makes any sense yet David lived all the days of his life. And so if I start getting anxious anymore about like, Oh man, I could die today. The reality is yes, I could die today, but it's a matter of faith. It's trusting in the Lord and not being worried about, uh, am I going to be a statistic? Uh, just live the life that unfolds before you follow a heart after the Lord. Um, and whenever it's your time to go, we are graduating. Like the glory days for me aren't behind me. The glory days are ahead of me. And like, as you deteriorate and grow older and life starts losing its luster, you look forward more to the glory days that are ahead of you with heaven. And so what's the worst case scenario? You slap a plane into the side of a mountain and you're face to face with Jesus. So yeah, I mean, as far as taking things cap thoughts captive, we need to come back to that biblical narrative because that's what always brings me like the statistics I want to look at. I think the ones that that's a good way of saying it. The statistics that bring me a calm is reading in God's word about mighty men that defied all the odds yeah. because God was for them and he wasn't against them. Like those are the statistics I want to focus on. I want to focus on God parting the Red Sea. I want to focus on God knocking down the walls of Jericho. I want to focus uh, on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. Uh, the statistics say you get thrown into a fiery <laughs> furnace, you're a dead man. But when God's on your side, like anything is possible. What's possible? It's impossible with men, right? Matthew 19, what's impossible with men is possible with God. And so I think that's a rad way of thinking about it. Like focus on the the statistics that are for you from yes. God. So. um how about let's talk a little bit. So that's worry. Um, 
here's another here's another big one. So being gone, so some of these hunting trips that guys are going to go on, I go on, you know, I'm gone for two weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. That leaves you managing the household, the good, the bad, and the ugly of managing the household during that time that I'm gone. How do you deal, how do you deal healthily with the adversity that comes along while I'm gone without me to lean on? Just do? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think I, I don't really, I think when you're gone, I try not to think of like, oh dang, if he was here, then I could, then he could help here or he could do this. Or I think it's more just like, okay, he's gone for these two weeks. We just have to live life and get done what needs to get done and deal with what needs to get dealt with. And when he gets home, I can tell him about it if I need to. Um, so it's just not... You, I mean, you just take one day at a time and everything that comes up and you just kind of push through it. And if it gets overwhelming a little bit, again, pray and then let it go and go, okay, I'm going to just walk through it. So one thing that I've seen in you that obviously is stunning is you don't use me being gone as an excuse to let things slip. Um, whether that's difficult things that we're facing and, you know, we've gone through our share of stuff in the last couple of years, especially, um, interpersonal problems, people trying to take stuff from us, like all sorts of stuff. Right. Um, and, but you don't, you don't use me being gone as an excuse to, uh, procrastinate on issues, adverse strong adversity, not just like the, the menial tasks. And I don't say that in a diminutive way, right? Like, um, but the, just your day-to-day -day tasks, you don't let those slip, uh, but also you don't shy away from adversity. And I think that that's a, that's been a huge thing. I think that's enabled me to be gone serving the Lord in the way that I do. Well, if, cause I haven't really thought about it in that way, but when you think of that, I think what pops in is because I don't want you to then have to be super burdened and then us be super burdened when you get back. I mean, one of the things that we've learned to really navigate is um, take advantage of the time that we have together. So if I stack, if I let things go and let everything stack up because I'm like, well, I want him to help me deal with this. or I want to do this together or whatever. Then when you get home, then that's what we're doing. And we're not being able to just spend time together and spend time with the kids or whatever, go on a date. Then you're just, you're burdened when, when you are home. And that doesn't, that doesn't sound fun. I don't want to do that. So one thing that you've never done to me, and I've seen this done to almost everybody else I've ever hunted with, is when I'm gone, you have never dumped problems on me that I don't have any ability to help fix. So like when I'm in the backcountry of Alaska, I have, um, I have my Garmin inReach on me, and I have never received one thing from you that is just dumped on me and that, that'll just eat you up. And I've seen guys, I've seen wives do this to their husbands where they get sick and they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm dying. I don't know if I'm going to make it through the day. And you're in the middle of nowhere. And the guy's just like walking around, like, I don't know what's going on with my wife. Like, I, I don't know. What, and it's just eating them up. Like you have never done anything like that to me. When I, when we've come, when I've come home after these trips, you'll, we'll sit down and you'll say, well, here's what we have going on. And these are some things that I couldn't handle that you need to give some attention to. And you'll lay that out. But like, what, 
what keeps you from dumping things on me? And how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you, do you reach out to anybody if you're overwhelmed with something? How does that work? Because, you know, the, the honesty is like they, they're struggling with something, right? Uh, but they're dumping it on their husband and a husband feels this, this unbelievable duty to take care of his wife and help his wife. And so now all of a sudden he's in this helpless position. So how do you, how do you deal with that mentally? And like, what do you do? So first I have to tell a story and I have to give credit. So we, there's a couple that we know, and I don't remember if you remember this conversation because it was years and years ago um, with the Stolies when he was, because he was a Marine. Okay. And I remember him telling the story of when his wife was pregnant and she was really struggling and, um, you know, it's really hard to be where your husband, I mean, and military, you're stationed for months. Yeah. Like, I, was I have nothing, deployed for right, six or seven I have months. Nothing in comparison to that where your husband is gone. Um, and he felt so helpless to help his wife and he was feeling so guilty that his, you know, he was, that she was struggling when she was pregnant. She's having all this. And I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, how hard would it be? And this would have communicated to be so worried about your family and your loved ones back home when you're trying to survive in a war. So, okay. Like you're not trying to survive in war. Totally. But it's the same principle, like that distraction, you know, even with, I'm with hunting, I mean, with flying everything, you have to be at your A game just like in war. Right. Like, yeah, I'm not trying to draw too much parallel with. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. But it just made me think through that of, you have to be on your A game. You have to have all your wits about you, especially when you're in the backcountry and it's dangerous and you're flying a plane. Like all of these things, you don't need extra distraction that you can't do anything about. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest part is to tell you that oh, the kids had a really rough day today, or you know, one of our kids is sick and they had to stay home from school. I had to take them. To, you can't do anything for me. I mean, when you're gone, and so it's not it's not fair to you, but then it's also like, is it just venting? Would, would it just be venting then? And I don't think that that's a healthy thing to do. Um, I mean, Jesus says, cast your cares on me. Cause I well, says, cast your cares on Christ. Cause he cares for you. Yeah. I think it's first Peter. It is first Peter. Um, and I take, I really do take that to heart. Like I do. I talk to God a lot. Like, gosh, this is, you know, whatever comes like, Oh, this is, this is hard. God, you know what, what help me strengthen me, you know, what comfort me, whatever. But, well, I think some clarification here. We're not talking about not not sharing what's going on in your life. No. I think it's the way it's communicated though. Yes. Um it's okay, if if you're sick, you can kind of factually lay out, you know, I'm sick, like I've got I got the covid, I'm going to die. <laughs> um and but you could say, you know, I'm sick. This is what's going on. Would you please pray for me? Totally. That's, and that's I hope what that you're having a great time uh, because how it's communicated a lot of times is a guilt trip. That That's the word for it. Yeah. I've been trying to think of the word for it. It's a guilt trip. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're off having fun. I'm stuck at home with the kids. Now on top of that, I'm sick. This has fallen apart. And I, it's almost a vengeful thing. It's like making sure that they're suffering with you because they're having a great time. And you're totally miserable. Well, that kind of ties into why you, why your husband is off hunting. I mean, there's obviously there's different aspects of that for you. I mean, it's, it's our ministry. So it's, it's a huge undertaking and it's a, it's really what you're called to. So in order to, to do that, I mean, you have to be gone. Um, and so to support you in that, that's one way, but then also 
even before this was a ministry, I mean, this is, we've only been really doing this full-time ministry for a couple of years now. Um, and before that you've still hunted. Um, but remembering, you know, why you're going out in the woods, you're not just, it's not, it's not a fully selfish thing because I know, and I see how much you need filling and everybody has something that, that fills them up and brings them joy and brings them contentment and rest them, rest their soul and gives them, just gives them what they need um, to face the world. I mean, I think of, uh, you know, when you were working a lot and when you were um, pastoring the church and, you know, everything, you needed that time to break away. You needed to, you know, center yourself, get in the wilderness, get quiet with the Lord, get quiet in your mind and have that experience. And I think everybody needs that. And for some for some it's hunting, for some it's working out, for some it's, you know, whatever it is, everybody has a different thing that does that for them. So I think a big aspect of that is realizing like, why, like, why is my husband going for two weeks and getting behind that and supporting it and then making that decision. Okay. I'm going to let him enjoy that time and be filled and get quiet. And so I'm not going to burden him unduly with the things of the day. And like you said, I mean, yes, if, if, once in a while, maybe I've texted and said, Hey, pray for me. This is coming up, but it's more of like, Hey, I just need, I just need to know that you're praying. I just need to know that. Yeah, well, there's a huge difference between, um, bearing each other's burdens, yes. which we are called to do. And then, um, like distressful guilt tripping message. Yes. They're manipulative is yes. what they are in nature. The ones that I, I'm talking about that I've seen uh, the, the destructive ones, like there's nothing wrong because I don't want anybody to hear this and be like, well, don't, don't tell them anything that's going on. Don't like, you're just in it. You're on it. You're on your own. Right. You know, it's you're home alone and you're on your own and you're, they're dead to you at that point. No, we're just talking about like the heart and the intention of it. And so I think one of the big things though, that you touched on that, we, we want to talk about here is, so what does that look like? How much time is too much time to be hunting? How do you, um, what can a man do to set his wife up in a way that she, uh, is not crippled while he's gone? Like, what can he do? How can he love his wife to the point where to go away for a couple of weeks, isn't the end of the world to her? Um, lots of communication, I think. Um, and, I mean, it like kind of goes back to that compromise, like communicating like, Hey, I'd really like to go onto this hunt. It's this, you know, it's going to be this time frame. Um, let's look at, make sure, you know, there's nothing that's going to come up in that time frame that you can't handle looking through that, make sure, you know, whatever that is, you know, Hey honey, you know, I'm going to need you to pay this bill while I'm gone or whatever, just really communicating through that. Um, and then, you know, going, Hey, you know, I'm going to do this two week thing maybe in a couple months, maybe you and I can just go away for a weekend and let, we can plan that too. So I think it's, it's just showing that, um, that, you know, it, you're not going to use all of your spare time for the hunting. I think that's a big deal. And I, and I can understand that because, and you've done very well with that is yes, you're gone a lot hunting, but you also are very diligent to make sure that you do special things with me and with our kids and take that time and be diligent about that. Um, so making sure you're doing that throughout the year, because, you know, most, again, you know, your hunting seasons are very long, <laughs> but most hunting seasons are really, you know, a month or two. And if your husband- Or even less, or yeah. Or even less. And so if it's going to be a week here, like four weekends in a row, you know, maybe it's, he can only get away from the weekends, just realizing that this is a season. And then in the rest of those seasons, really making sure that you, you know, then take time together and have that. But I think really 
putting in your mind, like this is just a season. It's not every weekend. It's not for six months. It's, I'm, it's a couple weekends or it's a couple weeks and we'll just get through it. So that's one you coming back to what you talked about, about taking every thought captive um, and how you deal with things. That's one thing that you didn't mention that you have always, you've done for a long time and you probably don't even think about it much, but uh, you're always communicating how things are in seasons mm. and you're always mindful that every season comes to a close too. And you, you think about it for long periods of time. You're like 10 years is a season, you know, 20 years is a season sometimes, but also within the year, there's a, a rhythm to our year as well. And you are so good about seeing the different seasons and understanding that they're going to come to a close and then we're going to be in another season. Sometimes I see people get overwhelmed in the season that they're in because there's almost this thought that it's, it, it, they might not, be think, they're, they're not be thinking it, but what you do is what you believe. Yeah. And so they become overwhelmed. It's like, Oh, it's, this is never going to end. And the reality is, is that hunting season does end. Right. Um, but you are very good at that. And that, I think that would be a huge encouragement for anybody, whatever you're facing in life is like these seasons do come to an end, the good ones and the bad ones all come to an end. And so being present, I think one of the main things um, that I, I would say the only thing that's wrong with you that I don't like is that your birthday is in November. <laughs> Hard times. Yeah. And so if there's anything I could change about you, that would be it. But coming back to what you talked about, that has always been a priority for me as we every year, which is the peak of the deer rut. I'm sorry. November 20th. <laughs> um, every year for your birthday, we go away and we will we'll take a couple of days and go away and break away. But I think that making that a priority like you say, like well, we, I do these things, but we also prioritize our relationship too. It's not a selfish. And I, that, that's the one thing I wanted to say is that hunting can cross the line from being something that's life-giving and um, an incredible hobby and all, all these other things to idolatry. If you're a Christian, uh, idolatry, meaning you just put it above absolutely everything, including God. Um, and if you're putting it above God, you're definitely putting it above your family. Yeah, yeah. And that is so destructive you know, when seasons don't come to an end, when it's one to the next and all of your spare time is dedicated to hunting and none of your spare time goes to your family, then we have a problem. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's just something I wanted to throw in there. Absolutely. And then also, um, in another way, I mean, I mean, wives, we want to be involved with your life. Like we want to be a part of your life. I mean, that's kind of just because I'm so a big part of that is even, so say you, you need some of the off season to prepare for it, take your family, take your kids, go horn hunting together. I mean, it might be a little slower or whatever, but involve your kid, involve your wife and your kids with the things that you enjoy and they'll enjoy it too. You know, maybe they, maybe they're not a hunter, but I know many women who will, I've heard many stories of women who are like, I just like going and sitting in the tree stand with him. Or I like to go, you know, go, we'll go hiking and we'll go hunting and we might not get anything, but it's, you know, we're out together. So involving, um, you're involving them, your wife and your kids in it helps a lot too, because then they can kind of, you know, we can all kind of see why and how much you enjoy and why, like I said, and then you're kind of part of it. And it's fun too. And, and fun. That, that's where, okay. So early on when I first became a pastor and I kind of, we, I could kind of see that I was going to be traveling a lot, um, speaking at different places. One of my mentors, Rick Dunn, he gave me the most profound advice and it has affected 
my family, my life. And I tell it to everybody, but that was just always take somebody with you. Mm -hmm. Always take somebody out of your family. Um, not just like some random person, (laughs) but in all my traveling, um, I try the general rule is I always have somebody with me. Uh, one of our kids or you, I always like to bring somebody with me and it's, it's a double whammy. First off, you're getting to spend time with your kids. And part of this is a, it, having this lifestyle, like there's a lot of decisions that go into having this lifestyle. One of them, which is that you homeschool the kids, um, except for our oldest, she's now back. She's in public school now. Um, but that has enabled us to grab the kids whenever we want and go do something with them. And everybody has to figure out their own rhythm of their lifestyle. But for us, uh, grabbing the kids and doing that, because even if they're not super passionate about hunting, you're not forcing them to go, but they're having an opportunity to get out there, do something with you. Uh, and when I travel to go uh, preach at different places, like the kids get to go, they've gotten to go all over the country, getting to see new places and we'll go do something fun there for them. We'll go to a museum or go do some activity or whatever, you know, and you just include them. And all of a sudden um, you're, you're killing it as a parent, <laughs> like, cause you're doing adventurous, fun things with your kids um, and you're redeeming the time and they're getting to travel and enjoy things. And it, it's a beautiful, like it's a win-win all the way around. And, you know, if you're inconvenienced by taking your kid hunting or doing something with them, like that's something that you got to really search your heart about mm-hmm. because, it, man, I hunting's definitely an idol if you're worried about your kid messing something up. Right. And I mean, there's a balance to that too, because I'd I'd hate for someone to be like, okay, well I can only take, I can only go if I take my kid or only go if I take, because there's, there is absolutely room where it just doesn't, it's not, it's not feasible. I mean, if you have a three-year-old, you're not taking your kid elk hunting. Totally. Totally. And then, you know, and so as they age, so it changes. And then also like you do need your own backcountry hunting time and that's okay. Yeah. Like, so there, there's a balance to it and just kind of learning, like you said, rhythm. I think rhythm is a huge part of our life. Um, you know, again, as you mentioned the homeschooling thing, because it does allow us to, you know, work hard when dad's gone during hunting season. And then when dad's home, we can take a week off and just hang out or whatever, just take a couple of days or whatever it is. It just gives us a good rhythm. And that's not for everybody, but it, it really does work in our life is just taking, seizing those days and seizing those moments and just being a little sporadic and spontaneous and it works out really well. So how do you deal with, this is a question I wanted to ask. How do you deal with, and I don't don't know if we've actually really talked about it much, but how do you deal with jealousy? Like, uh, when, when things are tough at home and I'm off hunting and I'm having a great time and I think I don't like the way I even said that, that I'm having a great time because people don't understand pretty miserable how miserable we are most of the time. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm not. It's like, about. yeah, it is not. It's a strange thing. Like <laughs> people think, oh, you get to hunt and you get to, there's so many days you're just like, I don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> but if I don't get out of bed, I'm going to freeze to death in my sleeping bag. <laughs> so I have to start hiking. Um, somehow that's fun. I don't know. But so, you know what I mean though? Like, is there a jealousy component where you're just like, uh, I'm stuck at home. No, uh, I don't know. I don't think I've ever had that jealousy. That's not a word that I would use. Um, one one big thing that I've told is that that really helps is, so like, I like reading and I don't read a lot like when you're home because, you know, we're in the evening, we're having dinner and we're spending time together with the kids and stuff. And so there's not really like a time where I'm just going to sit. So when he's gone, that's kind of like, oh, 
I've been saving this book that I've been wanting to read. And so I look forward to, you know, putting the kids to bed a little earlier and then I go in bed and I read for a little bit and that's exciting for me. I know that sounds kind of lame, but. So it's better for you if I go. No, (laughs) I didn't mean it like that. But no, but having something that you're looking forward to that doing or like maybe like sometimes, you know, when we are at home and when Justin's home, we are very diligent about eating dinner at table altogether. Um, but the kids, you know, really like watching a movie while we eat dinner. So when dad's gone, you know, we'll do that a little bit more often, not all the time, but cause it kind of makes it special, kind of makes it different. So I don't know, just having things that you look forward to. Um, and then keeping that, just keeping your routine. I don't know. I just, I don't really get jealous of you. Okay. Gone. I don't know. I don't know how to answer it. Okay. <laughs> then you probably wouldn't be a good one to speak into it Sorry. for other people. <laughs> no, it's okay. We just talk about what we know. I think that's the only place we can really give good advice on things we know. Um, so that's, I mean, we've kind of covered a lot of these different things, but is it ever overwhelming for you with the kids? And then how would you navigate, how do you navigate that when it starts to become overwhelming? Like, I mean, is there a support system? How do you do it? Or do you just buck up? I mean, you're obviously... You're going to tell people to buck up, aren't yes. you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, of course there's moments of over, being overwhelmed, but you can't live in those moments. And so you just kind of kind of push through it. So yeah, there's a lot of buck up. And then, you know, sometimes it will, well, I'd be like, you know, this was just not a good day. You know, kids are being disobedient or whatever, just an off day. And we're like, okay, we're going to go to bed early. And we're just going to try better tomorrow. It's just going to you know, whatever. And then that self-reflection, like, what, why, how did I let it go out of hand? What did I do today that get out of hand? Or like, why, what headspace am I in that I let this go like this? Or, you know, do I need to take discipline a little bit more seriously for this one or that one? Or do I need to adjust our schedule a little bit? I don't know. It's just kind of that self-reflection of like, where, what's going on? Why is it here when it wasn't here before? Um, And then just working through that, however it goes. But I mean, of course I have some support system. You know, my mom lives an hour and a half away or so. And so if I need, you know, she would at a drop of a hat come and, you know, let me have to give her the kids for a couple hours and go. But I mean, I haven't needed to, but I know it's there. So, I mean, at least having, knowing that it's there, I guess helps. But I don't know, just finding, finding ways to just push through it and just deal with it and go on to the next day. So... I want to kind of bring us circle back to the anxiety and the worry about death. So talking about death as a, as a married couple, because most of the time that's what I've seen people struggle with the most. Um, Met a guy hoping to do a podcast with him soon, actually. uh, And he'll share more about his story, but he had, a uh, family member um, getting a plane wreck, flying into the back country, into the, the middle fork of the salmon. Um, yet he still does backcountry hunting, but anxiety was at this point where he was considering not even going anymore and just kind of giving up on those dreams, worrying about death. Uh, but when it comes to death, it's one of those things that like we saw through the whole COVID deal, like everybody just got freaked out about death, right? And they were willing to give up all their freedoms to try and keep themselves alive, maybe keep somebody else alive. They were willing to take all sorts of injections, like all this crazy stuff, right? Um, in order to just try and eke a little bit more because death is scary. Like that, we all face death. 
that that's a reality as part of the fallen world that we live in. Um, for us as believers, obviously death doesn't hold us, but we still have to face it. And that can be kind of scary. Like the, the idea of dying, the finality of it, the, I can't give anybody advice. I can't do anything. I can't love them. I can't hold them. I can't, you know, there's all these things. And that becomes this debilitating fear of death. Um, but what I want to talk about a little bit is some of our conversations around death. And I think that they've been helpful. I know they've been helpful for me. Um, and so I'm hoping to kind of just share those a little bit with other people, but as a pastor, um, I spend a lot of time around people that have lost a spouse. And one of the biggest things that I have seen, um, that the surviving spouse deals with is they struggle with the fact that their spouse didn't release them from the marriage. Um, and when I say that, what I'm saying is their spouse never sat down and discussed what will life look like when I'm gone and what would I like you to do in there? Like, what do I release you to? It's specifically, I'll just say, say how it is. Most spouses, when they die for whatever, however it ends up coming about, um, they have not released the other spouse to get remarried. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you and I have spent significant time talking about. You want to share a little bit about that? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we've had this conversation a lot and especially because we have seen a lot of people who struggle with that after the fact. Um, and we've both come to the conclusion that we want each other to remarry if in the event that either one of us passes um, because it's, that's a way to even just honor you because I'm still living my life. You wouldn't, I mean, I know that when you're gone, you wouldn't want me stuck in misery and pining away for somebody that I can't have anymore. Um, well, one thing I say about you, and I've told, I've told you this so many times, I'm like, you're the biggest blessing of a wife in the world. And when the Lord takes me home, the last thing I'm going to be thinking about is what's going on here. I'm going to be face to face in glory with Jesus and it's going to be radical. Right. And, but you are a huge blessing and obviously I don't want you getting remarried in two weeks. Like I feel like I'm more memorable than that. But <laughs> I, what I am saying though, is you would be a tremendous blessing to any man. And the way I see it, just being very frank, is there women that are a blessing, spouses, men and women, both that are yeah. actually a blessing to their spouse are few and far between um, a, a, I know for a fact, a majority of marriages, statistically a majority of marriages are not great. Um, and that really comes down to a lot of what, what's going on with each spouse. And so you are, you are such a blessing that it would be a shame out of an overwhelming grief, or it would actually kind of transition to it transitions to a worship of a person if they're gone um, for that long, but to withhold the blessing that you are to somebody else. And I would want to, I would want to see that because not only would you be a blessing to somebody else, that companionship and all the opportunity that's ahead, you know, Job says that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I think in those moments of loss, that theology is really challenged. Mm -hmm. Is, is it good when God gives? Is it good when God takes away? And when God takes away, what does he have next? 
And thinking that your past season is the only season that you could ever have joy in, that one person is the only one that you could ever have joy in. We've got to remember at a certain point that all people were created in the image of God. And the things that we love in our spouse, those were given by God and God can put incredible things um, and character and personality and all those things that you love um, in different packages and present them to you in the right time. And so this fear of death, because this is what we started talking about, right? This fear of death though, it's like, if I lose you, I don't know how I'm going to go on living and no doubt I'm not. And I don't definitely don't want to minimize people that have lost a spouse, but the spouses, and I've just seen this, I could, I could about tell you, if you just shared a couple things with me about somebody who's lost a spouse and I could see them present day, I could about tell you every single one that has been released Mm -hmm. by their spouse because they actually move on with life. The ones that haven't, they're debilitated. And so I think it's really important as the conversations that we've had together, it's super important to have that conversation. And it's a kind of a hard one because then you start visualizing like, well, okay, you're going to be with somebody else. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, but I think in just humility, like it's just an honest conversation that you have to, it's so important for the health of your marriage. And I, there's things that come out of that too. I think there's some really great things that come out of it. But um, I think one of the other things talking about death is uh, not just that marital side of it, but like, what are the, what are the next steps? Like, do you have them? Do you have people set up? You know, is your spouse set up to, if you were to go away? Because I I think it's an honest consideration for us as hunters. We need to consider like if we're, especially if like, if you're hunting whitetail, yeah, you could fall out of a tree stand. You could get shot by another hunter. Those, (laughs) those things that happen. But I mean, especially as you start getting more into the backcountry stuff, you're dealing with horses, you're dealing with flying in an airplanes. Um, you're around brown bears a lot. Like there's just these things that, although we don't live in fear of them happening to us all the time, like they are a reality and some things are just flat out, out of your control. Uh, but the things that are in your control, like we, we take charge of them. Right. And so what would be some things that we've discussed, I guess, that would, um, that would help bring peace to that side of untimely death for you? Oh, well, I mean, just like you mentioned, making sure set up, I mean, whether that's life insurance policies or whatever that is. And then, but a lot of it is just really communication because if you're, if you've never talked about it, then the surviving spouse then has to think through all those things without the benefit of the, the communication um, and, you know, and, and being able to honor your wishes and honor, you know, you've been very clear and it's very helpful of, you know, what, what you would like seeing go forward, you know, in regards to even your memorial and stuff like that. Um, and then again, set up, you know, Hey, you know, if, if I were to do this, you know, or if I were to be gone, it would be maybe a good idea for you to this, this, and this, and that's going to be different for everybody's life. But just having those honest conversations that will be filed away that in the event that it happens, then, you know, cause I, I think the biggest overwhelming thought would be, okay, all of a sudden you're gone and I have no idea how to do any of these things or how to navigate this. If I've never, if we'd never talked about it, never had to think through them. And I think it's not only a benefit to communicate as a couple, but then like you said, it, it actually sparks thoughts and conversations to yourself of like, okay, 
if this were to happen, okay, oh, I, well, you know, I, I think that this would work out to go this path after that or whatever, just thinking through that so that you're not blindsided. You're not, it's not just everything all at once that you're having to make decisions on or have to think through. Well, I mean, one of the things that we've talked about pretty significantly is succession for Limitless Outdoors specifically. um, Who I want to see leading Limitless Outdoors and people in different positions to make sure that it endures, not only endures, but thrives going into the future. Because that's one of the big things for us is we, we don't want Limitless Outdoors to die with us. Like we want to continually be reaching and impacting, um, people that are passionate about the outdoors with Jesus, as long as the Lord wants, wants to use it. We don't want to be the ones that are holding it too tightly. Right. And so I think with everything in that, in that you have to, you have to have it all in, with open hands and be looking because God's got that next person in in everything. Like God has a plan and a purpose for our life and plans not to harm us, but to prosper us, right. To give us a future and a hope. Uh, but most of our hope filled future is eternity with him. Like we've got a few years here and, that's going to be what it is. Um, but I think that all these conversations are super helpful. And I would really encourage, I would really encourage, I guess, people listening to sit down and just have honest conversations about how much hunting is too much hunting. What are your anxieties? What are your, what are your fears? What are your doubts? What are your worries? What are you jealous? Are you angry when I'm gone? Like, how can we navigate this? Cause coming back to the beginning and even talking about, death and every death and everything. It's all part of the conversation. Like all these, yeah, all this communication, but inevitably the thing that we want to see um, is uh, because people talk to me about it all the time. Like, well, I can't go hunting. My wife won't allow me to go hunting like that. And it's like, okay, well maybe you're hunting too much. I, I don't, you, you can't just give a blank, a, you know, a blanket answer to this, but I think that there needs to be a strengthening in the marriage so that the desires, the passions, the things that you're pursuing, both of you um, can chase after those, that it's not a lopsided relationship. Well, and what that's so important because it goes, it goes both ways, but um, I was going to mention this and I kind of forgot just till now, but um, a book that really helped me with that was called wild at heart. And I can't remember the name of that. Oh yeah. John Eldridge. There you go. Um, And he really taught it's, it's for men. Um, but I read it and it, it's really talking about how much men really get from being alone and in the wilderness. And cause, so it's hard, you know, as a woman, most of us don't thrive on that. Like most of us, and there are, there are some, but most of us, that's not where we get filled up. You know, we get filled up spending time with our kids, going, whatever, doing workouts, sports, whatever, shopping, even, I mean, and that sounds kind of trite, but it's true. I mean, reading, whatever other hobby, gardening, crafting, like there's all these things that kind of women are a little bit more prone to do, but for men, a lot of them really just need the wilderness and really just need that grounding with nature and with God. And that's just where they get filled up. And that really helped my perspective of understanding that. Cause I, I mean, I knew that intrinsically, but having it kind of explained a little bit more helped. Um, and so, I mean, thinking through how much you, I mean, you have a lot on your shoulders as a man. And men have a lot of on their shoulders, you know, to provide and to protect and to lead their family. Um, that's a big burden. And not saying that women don't have burdens as well. I'm just, I'm just going to speak about that yeah. right now. It's a big burden. And we all need, and everybody needs somewhere that they can get filled back up. Because you're, if you're always pouring yourself out and you're always giving, you're always, you know, needing to to help everybody else and to provide and do everything. And you're just draining yourself 
that, that just leads to resentment. That leads to bitterness. That leads to just, I mean, depression, anxiety, like all of those things that really harm us. Um, and having that outlet of being connected in the woods and being out and being by yourself and being quiet and being alone or even, or even with another hunting buddy, whatever, just having that time is so important. And so honestly, like just making the decision that I'm going to, I want you to do that because I see, and I mean, for the women, if you've never, if, if your husband's never done that, but he's wanted to, and you've kind of been like, mm, I don't really know, I'm not comfortable with that or whatever. I just, I don't understand it. Let them go and just see how they are when they come back. I mean, just, just do an experiment, just go, okay, go for the weekend or go and just see the change that can happen. Because I mean, even before we were Christians, it was like that. Um, and even more so now, but I mean, even before we were Christians, you would go and I would see you and you just, you'd have this like weight off your shoulders. You're like, okay, I can, but then I can re-engage the world. It's not like weight off your shoulders. Like I'm disengaged and I don't want to live life anymore. It was more like you've been renewed and strengthened to then engage life more. That's good. And so just allowing that to happen. And again, it, it doesn't have to, and women too, but I mean, so the other side is, you know, men then have this conversation like, Hey, what fills you up? You know, how can I support you? Do you, do you want to start gardening? Do you want to go on a girl's weekend? You know, what, where, where do you get your filling up? You know, maybe it's just going on it. Like for me, honestly, like I really like going on away trips and dates with my husband. So those, that's kind of what fills me up. So he's been very honoring in that where he really makes sure that he takes me, I mean, even just on dates, but you know, on for weekends together alone, you know, that's what really fills me up and I get to look forward to that. Um, so that's awesome. But again, it's just it's communicating it and then really seeing it and just, and wanting that for your spouse. I mean, I know I want you to have that. I want you to have where you're filled and where you're, you're rested and you're content. Like I want that for you. And just like you want that for me. So even if I maybe this isn't the case, but if, even if I don't understand it or even if I don't like hunting, whatever, a way that I can bless you and honor you as my spouse is to give you that time and not make it a battle. Cause you don't want that. So in a sense, not battle. The, the only thing I keep thinking while you're talking there is just in a sense, it really is ministry to your spouse, it is. like allowing them and, encouraging like one of the things that you'll say to me when I haven't been out in the so here's what a lot of people don't realize is September October November I hunt a lot no doubt about that the rest of the year like I've gone shed hunting for a day and a half this year and I think that's the only outdoor activity I've done since back in early December like a shed day hunting for a shed shed hunting for a day and a half <laughs> in the last four and a half five months at this point uh, I'm going to do like a week or two of spring bear and then all the, like it's all ministry stuff outside of that. Uh, but one thing that you'll say to me when I haven't been out in the mountains for a while is you need to go up in the mountains. Like you'll see that as like my soul needs ministering to, and you see that as an avenue. And so while you were talking about that, we can see these things and we'll just keep it with hunting. Cause that's what we're talking about, but we can see hunting as a ministry, how we can help um, enable ministry to happen to our husband, right? To your husband. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing that, identifying that, and if you want to minister to your husband, encouraging him to get out there, to protect that time, to invest in that way out in the wilderness. Because I mean, 
the Bible is just riddled with men of God, including Jesus Christ himself going out into the wilderness on a regular basis to get alone with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be a huge thing I would encourage for men, not only like maximize that time that you have out there. If it's a week, like one of the things that I don't do, so I do have an inreach, um, but one of the things that's maybe a little bit more controversial with everybody is I don't use it very much. Yeah. Especially when I go to Alaska, I will not text you for like the first eight days or something like that. You usually. usually text me when you kill something. Yeah. Usually it's, <laughs> it's quite a ways into it. Right. And so, um, because one of my priorities, especially on that hunt, because the rest of them, you're in cell service a lot of the times and you're more around people, but that one is like my one reset every year in Alaska. And if you haven't hunted Alaska, like be, be praying and planning to try and hunt in Alaska because that will be a great reset in your soul. And for me annually, like all the junk, it just kind of fades away up there. And I really seek after the Lord and the Lord kind of just shows me a lot of stuff for the whole year there, but I'm intentionally going out to meet with God in everything that we're doing. Um, Well, yeah. And I think if you, I mean, if you were to constantly, if I were to be, or you were to be constantly touching base with me, then you're still kind of like halfway engaged in the world. It does. It's weird. And you're not able to get that fulfilling, that filling and that rest and that reset, like you said. And so, I mean, that's one of the reasons it doesn't bother me at all that you don't reach out to me. I mean, if you need something or you need me to do whatever you absolutely do. And if I really need to, I know I can like, but I just, well, that's what I try and tell everybody. Like I get a little bit peeved with guys on the trip when they're texting all the time on their inreaches and I challenge them not to, you know? Um, but the one thing that we talk about and you gotta, you gotta communicate this. You don't just go out there and like not tell anybody what's going on, but you just let them know, like, look, I'm going to be unplugged and no news is good news. The cool thing about those devices is if anything happens, like you are going to know something happened, right? Right. Unless you just smack into a mountain and everybody's dead then you'll find out eventually, but (laughs) nothing you can do about it anyway. Um, but the thing is with those devices, like if I'm ever in trouble, you guys are going to know, people are going to know about it. Right. And so no news is good news is good news in that scenario for that. And I think just communicating that ahead of time, like, look, don't expect me. I'm probably not going to text you until I kill something. It could be seven to 10 days before I shoot you a message. Yeah. Um, and so I think those are just, I think that is so solid what you were talking about though, just seeing hunting that passion as ministering to your man's soul. And I think that's so important to see it as that, because I think that can help you get behind some of the passions of your spouse, whether that's hunting or not, but. Well, it just changes your perspective and you're, you know, instead of it then being jealousy or resentment or bitterness that they're doing that. It's like, no, this is a good thing for not only him, but for me and for our family and totally. for our life. I mean, because when you're usually when I tell you to go up the mountains, it's cause like, okay, you're getting a little agitated. Yeah, exactly. You should go for a hike. <laughs> well, it does. Your soul just gets worn thin sometimes. Totally. totally. And like I said, everybody has a different outlet of that, but that's yours. And I very clear. And so why wouldn't I want you to go and reset so that when you come back and re-engaged, you're in a better space, you're in a better place, That's with good. A better headspace or better spiritual, whatever it is, you're able to then engage life better as a family and as a couple and whatever. It just, it's healthy. Awesome. So any last words for women that struggle with, I think we've covered a lot there, struggle with the idea of their husband's hunting. Just try, just, just try it out again with that perspective, with that mindset of this is, going to be good for him not so much like oh he's just doing it because he like it's going to be good for him it's going to be good for his soul and for his 
his mindset and then which means it's going to be good for you because you know the whole happy or what is it happy happy wife happy, happy life yeah. that's not true happy spouse happy house i mean that's silly but it really is i mean when you're both in that good spot then everything goes better you know you're not you're not snapping each other you know whatever if, so if there's a place where he can get that and there's a place that you can get that do it and see how much that just helps um, your day-to-day life um, and then again the seasons you know things nothing lasts forever in this world nothing i mean i think about it so one thing is funny you know we have five kids and so everyone's like oh my gosh it's so overwhelming it's like well when if i had five three-year-olds yeah that'd be crazy but they change they grow up they mature things you know they're, they're able to take more upon themselves they're able to play by themselves they're everything changes in them and it's likewise with our life like things can be overwhelming today but tomorrow is different. Next week is different. Next month is different. Next year is different. And so just taking on each one and going, okay, eventually this will end. This, even if this hard. And then honestly, sometimes it's like, well, I don't want this to end. This is a nice season. Yeah. But then realizing, okay, well then there's going to be a nice season ahead too. Like there's always something to look forward to good. Um, and then it's just putting your head down and going through it, whatever it is. Yeah. I think from my standpoint, just as a parting comment here, I think that just seeing everything that we do through the lens of serving the Lord um, and enjoying the Lord, like one foundationally kind of how limitless outdoors came about is I was so passionate about hunting. That's all I lived for. Right. Um, And I stopped hunting for a couple of years. People don't, a lot of people don't know that about me. Um, I stopped hunting for a couple of years after I got saved, uh, just very minimal. I killed some meat animals and I really sought the Lord and I wanted everything I did to glorify God. I wanted even my hobbies to glorify God. And I just started asking God, like, how do you want to use limitless outdoors to glorify you? And so that's when he shared, he just showed me the way of sharing the gospel on each hunting video. And we've stayed committed to that from day one. Um, But even if that's not like the level or how God is calling you to, to preach in that capacity or to use hunting as a platform for that, like we are, um, hunting is soul ministry. Like I would just encourage you to really be seeking the Lord on how you could engage him more in your hunting, like asking the Lord also, am I worshiping hunting? Is it, un- is it an unhealthy hobby? Am I putting my family on the back burner? Am I skipping church on a continual basis? Like sometimes the seasons land the way they do. And that's not a big deal. I've killed a lot of animals on Sundays. Um, I just have, you know, and, uh, but am I continually putting church on the back burner year round? Am I always finding something to hunt? Do I have to be digging for seashells with Sally on the seashore? Do I have to be shooting ducks? Do I, I squirrel seasons open? Got to shoot squirrels or catch gators or turkeys or like if, if it's 365 and all your vacation days are used for that and not investing in your family, like really take that to the Lord and reprioritize because your wife's going to respond to good godly leadership. That's what's going to happen. Um, just like it, it's easy to get behind somebody that's chasing after God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, managing their responsibilities well. But when you're spending, when you're up to your eyeballs and credit card debt, booking hunts on a credit card, taking second mortgages out, uh, spending all your vacation to go on hunting, like reel it in, reel it in, have some honest conversations with your spouse about what it is. And then when you get to go out on those hunts, take your Bible with you, 
spend time. Uh, one of the things I'll do is I'll ask the Lord, like, what do you have for the next year? Give me vision for the next year of my life um, on a lot of these hunts. Cause when you get quiet with the Lord, man, he just speaks. If you're just quiet and you're listening, he speaks and a lot of these hunts he can. And so see it as a ministry, but I, yeah, I just really encourage you in that. Um, and then if you're not married yet, have these conversations. If you get to listen to this and have that blessing, have these conversations before you get married. Um, because I can't tell you how many people I see get married and you're just like, man, that is not going to work out. <laughs> Sometimes you're wrong. I'm rarely wrong about it though. It's just like, you don't discuss any of these things. And all of a sudden she finds out that you like hunting and she's like, uh, no. Um, and that'll pretty much ruin your life as a man, if your wife is that way. So, um, yeah, just want to encourage you. just want to encourage you in that. And lastly, before we go, you know, we have our resource, the first mile, we want to send it to you absolutely free. It's a resource that's going to teach you, walk you through everything you need to know about who God is, why you need a relationship with him, how to have a powerful and practical relationship with God. That's the key, powerful and practical. Not just like I go to church, I got baptized once. I'm talking about walking every day with Jesus Christ, resources, tips, tools, tactics, like all that stuff. We want to send it to you free. free. So if you and your spouse and or your spouse want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, uh, we have that resource. You can go over to our website, www.limitlesshunting.com. Request it absolutely free. We pay for everything. Uh, just want to see you grow in Jesus. Also, if you're a new believer, um, or somebody who's just like on the fence, just seeking and just believes that Jesus might be the way, the truth and the life. Uh, we have discipleship classes that you can sign up for. It's a seven week series. It's online. We meet through zoom. Um, we have men's and women's as well. Uh, and you can sign up for those and seven weeks you'll go through the first mile. You'll have a mentor. They'll teach you everything that they can answer all the questions that they can and ultimately help get you plugged into a church and a lifelong walk with Jesus. That is powerful. So encourage you to lean on those resources, uh, get them, take advantage of them. We want to see you live in life and life abundantly like Jesus promised. And just want to thank you, Charlotte, honey. <laughs> for all of your wisdom and your love and your faithful support of what God's doing in my life and sharing that with us today. And I want to thank you all for listening and make sure to join us next week. God bless you all. And we'll see you soon.